Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your football show on the Tar Heel Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Floyd, and I'm joined by Jacob Cowden for our typical late analysis of Carolina's 38-22 win at Georgia Tech. Since the Heels are going into a bye week conveniently halfway through their schedule, my hopes that we can evaluate the Tech game through the lens of what it looks like half a season in under Mac Brown and whether the Heels' trajectory is such that an ACC Coastal title is feasible. Jacob, you think we can do it? I think we got a shot. It's crazy to think college football's halfway over, but Carolina's got as good a shot as anybody to win the division this year, I think. I was just I was just asking if you thought we could uh, accomplish what I laid out on the agenda, but we'll definitely get into that. Oh, I, I'm just thinking <laughs> big, but yeah, no, me and you got it for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um I'd say let's uh, start with kind of the nitty-gritty of the game first. Uh, like I said, the Heels won by 16. What did you think the margin of victory should have been based on how that game played out? Probably, I would say at least 20-something in that range. Uh, could have been could have been a lot higher, but I'd say probably t- based on watching the game, it should have been in the 20s, the score. Man, I, th- I think – if you play that game again and, you know, pretty much have the same process, different results, the game is something like 62 to 12. I mean, Georgia Tech is really bad. Um, I, I made this comparison on another podcast I do, but um, essentially Georgia Tech was like you were playing Madden 04 against somebody that had uh, Michael Vick, but you knew that they knew nothing else about football. Um. I mean, what what did you see from Tech's offense? Because quite frankly, I mean, they just have a running quarterback behind a bad offensive line with skill positions that aren't quite cut out for any kind of modern offense. Yeah, so I I mean, that's kind of what I saw. They couldn't block, so they had to be really, or at least try to be really creative. So it allowed the defense to to take some gambles, take some risks. Um, and I thought – I've been literally saying this every single week, but missed tackles, missed assignments. I think they get a lot more get a lot more turns. They only had um, I'm pulling up the stats because I know that great podcast content right here that uh, Chapman had that pick, but other than that, I'm trying to remember if there's uh, DJ turnover. Ford had one. Ford had one as well. I think that there could have been several because the combination of a quarterback who can't throw and an offensive line who can't block isn't usually. Um, a good combination for an offense, but I don't know. I kind of think it was once we got up 17, nothing or so the defense just kind of do what 20 year old kids do and kind of take their foot off the gas. I think something like that for sure. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, They gave up 8.8 yards per play in the second half, which is not ideal. Um, There's the one big 50 yard run by Jordan Mason, or I guess 43 yard run, which, accounted for about uh, 70% of his yards on the day. And that was just pure missed tackling and kind of lack of effort. Um, So it did feel like the heels defense let up a little bit. I'm not, you know, one to completely fault those guys because yet again, the heels lose another guy in the defensive backfield, Trey Morrison, apparently out with a broken arm. Um, this secondary man, it's completely thin. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Don Chapman, who started the season basically as a fourth stringer at uh, safety. How, I mean, at what point do we just need to find the person who has this voodoo doll for uh, the Rude Boys? Yeah, it's unbelievable because Renee's out, Morrison's out, uh, Cameron Kelly got hurt, like, and the, 
the list is huge. Like I don't even have the whole list in front of me, but uh, Bryson Richardson. But let's Sorry, go what? through this whole list right quick. Is this absurd? Bryson Richardson torn Achilles in the preseason. The three guys you mentioned, um, KJ Sales transferred, which is starting to show up now a little bit. And I am Miles Wolfolk has missed uh, basically the last two games. It's crazy. Like the heels are basically down a first and second unit in the defensive backfield. How could I forget my guy, Miles Wolfolk? I say this when I'm talking about. How dare you? The uh, when I'm talking about the NFL, I always say the easiest way to lose is to have multiple injuries at the same position. And I think in college, it's you know it's easier to have a bit more depth. But when you have like six or seven guys going out of the same position, it's it's difficult. So hopefully, um, if you have a broken arm, like some of these guys are out for the year, but hopefully we can get one or two back after the bye week because. Miles Dorn is the only guy I think who started the year as a starter that's still on the field. Wrap him in bubble wrap, man. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, Dorn and then, I mean, really, yeah, Greg Ross didn't start against South Carolina. I, I know he played some, and Storm Duck played sparingly against them, but Storm Duck the last two weeks has played every snap of every game, and th- this is a guy that's a true freshman. Um I'm just looking into the depth chart now. I guess Duck and Ross are your corners. Uh, Ford probably takes on a larger role as kind of that nickelback, but might have to actually play some safety with uh, Chapman. Um, we saw another true freshman, Obi Egbuna, at corner late in the game. Uh, Javon Terry is going to have to get some reps. I mean, it's it's nuts. Yeah, and Storm Duck, we were talking about, like, you know, maybe he can – contribute a little bit possibly even like redshirting using his four games and now he's the number one guy at cornerback um and a lot of these guys we've never talked about until this point just because the depth is necessitating that so it's it's part of football but it's also is a lot of bad luck that all of us at the same position and they're going to need at least a couple guys back for for some of these games they have coming up in the coastal the second half of the year yeah i think they'll get more or um They'll get um, Wolfolk back probably relatively quickly. And that, that'll be huge just to erase some of the difficulties on the back end. Uh, obviously, you did see Chapman get beat for the last Georgia Tech touchdown, which, you know, basically Tech, if they had one thing going for them, it was wheel routes. Uh, they still missed they, – they missed a throw early in the first quarter, but I believe they connected on two of those uh, in the second half. So – you know, I mean, it's growing pains, but it was a really conveniently timed uh, trip to Atlanta, just given how bad they are this year. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, their first touchdown, I have the game pulled up right now while we're recording again, and it was looked just like, it looked like a wheel route, but just miscommunication from the secondary that I think some experienced guys can, can get that covered. So I think that depth definitely showed up in the Georgia Tech game, even though, it was a relatively, I don't want to say comfortable win. It wasn't as comfortable as it should have been, but the Tarlers were in control for the most part of it. But the depth still showed up, or lack of depth, I should say. Yeah, that's definitely something we're going to put a pin in and talk about for the Virginia Tech game because um, I'm sure Virginia Tech's going to try to exploit that. But hopefully with two weeks, get healthy. Um, also, Hendon Hooker is not the best passer in the world, but that's another topic for another podcast. Um Moving to the UNC offense, when you say it wasn't as comfortable of a win as it should have been, I think there was a reason in the first quarter that might have been the case. 
Yeah, are you referring to to that pick on that first drive or, or just miss miss passes? Because I'm I'm, 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 I'm I'm referring to all of the drops. Um, I I had let's see, basically the Bo Corrales one was the only one that was contested in the end zone, so I called that half a drop. But I had four and a half drops in the first half, two from Deami Brown. Um, one of which would have been a touchdown, uh, another touchdown by Daz Newsom, and then the third one by Bo Corrales. The Heels could have put up about 250 total yards of offense in the first quarter if uh, if the hands were working early on. Yeah, and drops is something that is honestly the most frustrating thing as a coach just because it's literally the – I think the, as a former not very good receiver, the easiest thing to do in football is just catch the dang ball. I was I came away from the first quarter thinking how really trusts his arm, and, and most of the time that's paying off, but sometimes that's what gets him and Carolina into trouble is just how much he just thinks he can sling it in there and – but so between that, that the interception and, and all the drops, um, yeah, I mean, Carolina really should have won this game. The more I rewatch it and the more more we're talking about it, it shouldn't have been as close as it was at all. Like Georgia Tech is, is not very good. So in that sense, it's impressive that they did what they did and came away with a 15-ish point win. Um, but despite playing that bad, there's one way to look at it if we're being positive. Yeah, and let's talk about that interception since you brought it up. Um, I mean, that was just a pure anticipation throw. I believe it was a third down. So, you know, just basically a little basic stick route. Uh, the defensive end dropped into coverage. Howell didn't see him. Um, you know, he did try to look look the playoff to the other side. That's basically just a freshman mistake. I'm not going to hold that too much against him. It's only his third pick of the season. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, Howell's final stat line, 376 yards, four touchdowns, uh, 7.4 yards in attempt, an 80.5 QBR, according to ESPN. And that is with, I mean, legitimately 150 yards of passing left on the turf by drops. Yeah, and he was the ACC freshman of the week as well um, for at least the second time this season. And I saw he was the leading passer in the ACC as far as yardage is concerned. So. Could have had an even bigger day, but I think I, I'm I've been not critical, but just I try to look at the positives and the negatives when I'm looking at at how, but you know all all these players. But he has been extremely remarkable for a true freshman, even with those mistakes that we see every game. What he's being able to do as a true freshman, just a pure talent, really is unbelievable. Like you look at Georgia Tech, they don't have anything close to that. There are a lot of programs who wish they had a quarterback, even with the arm strength that Hal has, yet alone all the other intangibles he's he's shown this year. Yeah, um, my favorite play of the game was probably that third and 19 where he made something out of nothing and then threw back across the middle of the field to Corrales. Um, maybe missed him by six inches, but, you know, kind of showed that, and I know we've made this comp a lot with, uh, you know, the Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel, where you kind of get lost in the pocket. Um, he, he's not as fast as either of those guys, but just – sidesteps enough guys uh finds himself a window to make a throw and then actually makes the right throw i mean that's like we talked about with the touchdown to corrales against clemson that is not really something you coach that is just pure instinct and seeing that from a true freshman is kind of remarkable 
Yeah, yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. So he he's been fantastic. Baker Mayfield comp is, is really accurate. I know Carolina fans don't watch Ole Miss at all, but he plays a lot like their quarterback as well. His name's Matt Corral. Um but Just yeah, I know. Better. Yeah, a lot better than, than Corral's been this season. Ole Miss has been a wreck, but we don't have to talk about that. Hey, Ole Miss wrecked Vandy, who is a true wreck. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I had one more theory just on the drops, um, specifically as it relates to Deami Brown. Deami Brown is is the type of guy that apparently, you know, a breadbasket catch is going to be more difficult than one that is a little bit on the outside of his radius because he made some he made three pretty remarkable catches. Obviously, he had the one handed touchdown grab against South Carolina. Um, he strikes me as a dude that. You know, maybe lapses in con- concentration on the easy ones, but then is just absolutely a dynamic weapon if uh, you just need to kind of throw it up in desperation and hope your receiver makes a play on a 50-50 ball. Yeah, that's not, I was going to say exactly that same thing. A lot of drops do come down to concentration because if it's um, – usually drops are either you feel like you're going to get hit or or just you're looking for the next move and – if you see a ball coming in, it's perfectly placed. You're in your head, it's like, oh, I got this. How am I gonna get open? Where if you gotta gotta stretch for it, something like that, that's where all your focus is. So sometimes the one where you have all the time in the world and it is an easy throw are harder to catch just because you have to like have subconsciously like stay focused on it the whole time. Yeah, and, and, and we see that in the NFL as well. Yeah, and and you and I both played receiver to varying degrees in high school. Um I mean, it's a very real thing where, you know, you're if you're if you know you're open and you know the ball's coming to you, you're trying to kind of, you know, w- without looking away from the ball, because that's never good. You're kind of trying to locate his safety and trying to figure out, OK, if he's there, how can I get the most yards after the catch here? Um, so, I mean, you know, it's not excusing drops, but it is a factor and it's just kind of a you know, a very tangible part of the development of a very young offense. Um, in their first year in a new system with basically freshmen and sophomores excelling at every position. Yeah, no, it's going to happen. And like I said earlier, coaches hate it, but also because it's just a concentration thing, it's one of the easier things to coach. I think it is drop catches, just um, kind of getting on the players. And I think that's something that that hopefully will pick up. It definitely has a potential, like some things you can't fix. Like we talked like depth at cornerback, you're not going to be able to coach. Um, I'm the kickoff coverage that Carolina has been really poor at all season. I'm kind of giving up on being good at that, but, but drops are something that, that are pretty easy to fix, especially if you have a bye week hopefully they can, uh, just look at the film and say, Hey guys, this is unacceptable because they're watching the same film we are. So they can maybe make that an emphasis. I think the receivers can be better going into the Virginia tech game. Yeah. And, and that's something that you can just, you know, cor- correct just in a skeleton drill or on a jugs machine. I mean, you know, just stand them in front of the jugs and say, all right, this ball's coming right to your chest. Catch it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the running game a little bit because I have kind of shifted from where I think Michael Carter should be to the featured back to where I think Javante Williams should be and is the featured back. That man is a load. Yeah. So you were – when did you shift from Carter? Because I've been on Williams I've probably since the Carolina game at least. When did you shift to Carter? Um, I don't know when it actually happened because I thought this was still going to be more of kind of a three-man, feed-the-hot-hand type of deal. 
Um, but with Antonio Williams apparently slowed um, by a hamstring injury is kind of the word we're getting. You know, it really has kind of become a two-man backfield. And I still think it is situation dependent where if you have a defense that's going to try to stack the box against you, maybe get Carter to the edge a little bit. I just think they're um, with the way that Phil Longo's offense operates, Javante Williams is a better fit just because it's a little bit more inside zone um, between the tackles. Whereas when they try to get outside and stretch the plays, uh, you, you have a, a young offensive line not quite getting to their blocks and not really allowing Carter to showcase uh, his talent to the best of his ability. So I don't know yeah. when it happened, but it seems really obvious to me at this point. Yeah, I think Javante Williams has to be considered the feature back and then um, Michael Carter, the quote-unquote change of pace back, even though he's not just a third down catch out of the backfield type of a back. The thing I love about Williams is he's just a violent runner, and the this is a cliche term, but he's always falling forward. He uh, His yards after contact are, are remarkable. And that's something that that he does that I don't think Carter I don't think Carter punishes the defender like Williams does is why I'm on the Williams bandwagon. Yeah, um, the the late touchdown drive where he had the 32 yard run um, inside the five, he could have probably scored on that just you know taking a better angle against the Georgia Tech safety, but he decided he was going to try to run him over instead. And I I just love that mentality out of running back and you know really. If, if you do that in the first quarter and then you're still doing that in the fourth quarter, you can really demoralize the defense that way. And I'm here for it. Um, the play, the, the broken play where uh, Howell fumbled the snap, somehow got it to Javante. Um, Brian Anderson falls into a block and Williams uh, gets into the end zone. That, that was just, you know, that that's pure instinct. And that's something that, again, you know, kind of like I said with Howell, that's not really something you teach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Williams is going to have, I mean, maybe not the higher ceiling is on, on a play-to-play basis because Carter does have the ability more so to take it 70 yards to the house. But just with the way this offense operates and the way uh, Longo uses the running game, Williams and even Antonio Williams, if healthy, you know, do seem to be a little bit better options on non-passing downs. And Carter definitely the better option on passing downs, as we saw with the long screenplay. Yeah, I thought – I mean, obviously there's injury, but I thought Antonio Williams was going to maybe be the best back of the three coming into the season. Williams and Carter have this – they're within five touches of each other uh, on the season, but oh, Javante Williams has almost 100 more yards, and he's averaging over a yard per carry on average or yard per touch on average than Carter is. So even though Carter has a home run ability, Williams has been – uh, more consistent slash explosive. Like he's averaging six point three yards a touch, which is pretty, pretty remarkable for for a running back. And yeah, I, I agree. I love just that he's seeking it out. I think Javante Williams is a perfect fit for the offense that because the passing game it's relatively simplistic. They're trying to get the ball downfield, so a running game that the, that Williams brings to the table, I think, is a perfect counter for that as far as keeping defenses honest. Absolutely. Um, let's touch on the OL real briefly. Uh, the heels ran a hundred plays on offense, which is awesome. Uh, you, you just love to see that. Um, still seven tackles for loss was a uh, season high for Georgia Tech's defense. And 
you know, when you look at it through one prism, you say, well, that's 7% of plays. That's not too bad. But Brian Anderson really cleaned up the snap things. I know that's something I touched on in the Clemson post game. Uh, Charlie Heck, I know we didn't really call him out last week. He's really good. Um, had the mistake of blocking a guy too well um, in the third quarter. But what I liked about that is it's kind of showing this mentality that UNC really is going to be more power than finesse on the offensive line. And that's really encouraging to see because, you know, they're punching balls in in the red zone more often than they did under the previous regime where it was a little bit more of a finesse game. Yeah, I think when you hear an air raid offense that, that UNC is quote-unquote running, you think of offensive line, you think pass protect, they're going backwards. You think like Washington State, they're just going backwards in pass protection the whole time. You think, I don't know, Houston, West Virginia, to an extent, not as much anymore with their new head coach. But um, UNC's offensive line isn't like that. They're, they're physical. They're, they're pulling guys. Uh, Charlie Heck is, like you said, he's one of the best players in the conference. My guy, right guard Marcus McKeithen, has been killing it. So they're not just going to sit back and, and try to block you. They're going to they're gonna be physical. I just watched that touchdown again, and it was just miscommunication. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love it, the offensive line, what they're doing and how, how physical they are. And there, there were some missed blocking assignments, but overall, um, that was my, not my concern because I was like, it didn't really matter as much, but – I'm happy to see that even though they're running a quote-unquote air raid offense, there's still a power run aspect to it, and they're still getting in guys' faces and being aggressive as an offensive line. That's such an important mentality that keeps them in the game, keeps them excited. And so that's been one of the more pleasant surprises as far as like how this offense has looked for me this season. 100%. Uh, Jacob, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll just kind of see how these trends uh, are going to translate to the second half of the season just based on what we know right now. And we are back. Jacob, the Heels, in my opinion, have gotten through five of the six toughest games on their schedule, um, with Virginia being the only exception. Uh, right now they're 3-3. Three and three. Um, Bowl eligibility, I would say, looks pretty good. But... What do you see as the floor and the ceiling for this team in the second half as they go at Virginia Tech, Duke, home against Virginia, at Pitt, Mercer, and at State? Well, so we're counting Mercer as hopefully a win. So they need to get two out of those other five. Um, so I, I guess the floor would be, let's say there's some more injuries, um, getting five wins and not getting ball eligibility. But I'd say realistically six is the floor. I think it'd be hard not to get six just with how um, upside down and wacky the Coastal is. And I honestly think they have an outside shot to win the division. I mentioned that um, right off the podcast, but they're two and one right now in the division or in the conference and Virginia's two and oh. So Carolina's played one more conference game with them. If they can beat Virginia, who as talented as Virginia is, it's a winnable game. It's at home. Then they could, even if they finish like eight and four or something like that, they could win the division. So I think that's the ceiling. I think the floor is probably maybe five, six more realistic floor. And then the division is eight, maybe nine, but winning the division. Yeah, I think winning the division is definitely on the table. Um, When you look at it, I mean, the two games that are against – teams that are going to be viable contenders in the Coastal, uh, Duke and Virginia, they are both at home in back-to-back weeks. Um, 
ESPN's FPI actually has the heels as, and I will emphasize slight, slight favorites um, in every remaining game. So, you know, going to Virginia Tech on the road, that one scares me a little bit more than it did because while they weren't excellent and they kind of just put the controller down and walked away in the second half of the Miami game, um, Hendon Hooker at least gives them an element that similar to how Georgia Tech uh, used their quarterback Howard you know, can at least steal some first downs, extend some drives, but I don't think he's really going to be able to exploit the secondary um, quite like some of the quarterbacks further down the schedule will, but the secondary should theoretically get healthier, not less healthy, we hope, because otherwise you and me might be suiting up, man. I think I got some eligibility left. Yeah. Uh, I think you probably have a better case for that than I do. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, if you look at it just – through a negative perspective, I guess you could say, well, maybe they go to Virginia Tech and lose and then lose back-to-back home games against Duke and Virginia. They don't get the Duke or NC State monkey off their back. And, you know, at that point, you're talking four or five wins. I just don't really see that. I think, you know, if you're just looking at the results thus far, I mean, three and three, but those three losses are to teams, all of whom are still undefeated here as we look into the second weekend of October. Um, Virginia Tech is not as good as anybody the Heels have played outside of Georgia Tech. Duke, I am still think the jury's out on Quentin Harris um, as a passer as well. I don't know, man. Um, I feel like it's – I mean, it, it comes down to beating Duke and Virginia, but at that point, I feel like really they are basically – maybe 40% to win the Coastal as we sit right now. I'm I'm going to give the odds 40%. 40%. Yeah, I think – so they have to beat Virginia just because that's probably the, the biggest competition they're going to have. And, and I Virginia's think they, not going to lose three more games. Yeah, I think because Miami has to, would have to beat Virginia. At that point, we might be asking for maybe more. They play Virginia this weekend. Um, and, you know, Pitt could throw a wrench in there somewhere. So I don't think it's – I wouldn't bet on Carolina winning, but if a couple things outside their control go the right way and they take care of business at home, then then they definitely can win the division. I think it, that's – for me, I'm still going to be happy with getting back to a bowl game at the end of the season. But at this point, I'm hoping for eight, so get going maybe four and two down the stretch out of those games, beat Virginia Tech um, – and then they could go five one, but I think four and two would be a realistic, yet optimistic goal out of the six games. Just because, honestly, in the ACC, especially in the coastal, like the Duke game, Carolina should win, but you never know in that game. Pitt is just the weirdest team in the country, uh, and then NC State's been up and down this year. I think Carolina has as good a shot as they've had in a long time in the state game, but it's it's in Raleigh. It's a it's a weird game as well. It's going to be late in the season, so. I think four and two is my optimistic goal that I have that is still realistic. Yeah, I think I think I'd be disappointed in anything less than four and two just at this point, because you know, there will definitely be one game where Howell looks like a freshman and you know, maybe somebody can exploit the the young secondary and you know, maybe somebody just uh schemes around Jay Bateman's defense, but I just don't I just don't see a world in which UNC, you know comes out of the bye and lays three straight eggs against Virginia Tech, Duke, and Virginia, for example. I'm, I'm just not in that headspace with this regime. Just don't really see it as uh, possible. Yeah, I think 
for I think Carolina is the most optimistic three and three team in the country, and that's because you know the three losses have all been really close. Their wins have been huge, uh, especially the first two games. Those were were incredible wins for the program. So uh, three and three, that put them at seven and five, which you know overall it's not not clumsy or anything like that. But it's a seven and five is I would absolutely sign up for that if you ask me in August. Like, hey, this is a oh, record. Yeah. Taken or not, not even questioning that. So, oh yeah, in, in August, you know, basically, I had to put on Carolina blue shades to see bowl eligibility. So we are, you know, I I know another podcast said on schedule. I'd say they're even maybe a little bit ahead of schedule, just given the difficulty of those first five games. Yeah, they're ahead of my schedule at least that I had for them. Absolutely, not even close. So I'm looking at yeah, Duke and Carol. Excuse me, Duke and Virginia are the huge games. Virginia Tech's one that they, they could lose. It's going to be a trickier game as bad as Virginia Tech has looked a little bit. But Blacksburg's a tough place to play. Um, yeah, they got that hooker um, taking over for Willis at quarterback. So uh, they definitely can lose all these games, but it, they should win most of these games. But there's not one game where, except for Mercer, where it's like, oh, like if they lose that game, it's huge upset, really disappointing. It's I think they're all going to be competitive, but they've had six competitive games already, and I think that's going to be beneficial going forward down the stretch. Absolutely. Well, Jacob, as we are in in the bye week, I know you've got a little bit more unique, um, a, a little bit more unique content coming up. So tell the people about that. Yeah, I got the uh, last year is a. a relative pretty popular unless you're a pit fan so the second annual uniform rankings in the acc are coming out some teams got some new uniforms so big shakeup from last year's rankings as far as the every acc football program uniform i got ranked 114 i feel like pitt's got to make a pretty big jump they did i don't remember where i had them last year but they were pretty high um syracuse was higher than i thought they were going to be and wake was higher than i thought they were going to be um, NC State is still pretty bad. I don't want to give a spoiler, but I hate their uniform so much. That's the perfect uniform to hate. Um, as for me, and obviously we are talking about things coming to the site. We mean the site, TarHillBlog.com. Go ahead, get on there, um, create an account, tell Jacob how wrong or right he is about the uniform rankings. You can tell me uh, what you want to hear about uh, from the podcast on the bye week when this posts. And I would say other than that, go ahead, subscribe to this podcast while you're subscribing to things. Leave us a five-star review on Apple's, Apple Podcasts, and we will read it on the air. Until next time, the Heels are 3-3. Three and three. We get a week to breathe this weekend. Keep it locked. Go Heels.